It's Evelyn, your host of Now I Get It. Today's entertainment news in five minutes or less. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I've been gone for almost three months, but I swear I didn't mean for my hiatus to be this long. Work got very busy, especially around the award season with the Oscars, and then I just fell off for a little bit. But of course, I missed you all, and I'm so delighted to be back. And what a way to come back. The Writers Guild strike, am I right? The talk of the town, it is national news. In today's episode, I'll be talking about the Writers Guild strike, who's involved, what's the issue, and how most news outlets are simplifying it about just wanting more money and fear of artificial intelligence, but how I feel that it goes even beyond that, and how this strike is about needing more career stability and feeling valued as the backbone of the entertainment industry. By the end of this episode, you'll also be able to say, now I get it. Let's get into the background of this writer's strike. Who is involved? The two sides are the Writers Guild of America, who I'll be referring to as the WGA. They represent about 11,500 writers um, covering the television and film space. On the other side of these negotiations are the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Uh, They're a formal group representing most of the major movie studios and streaming services. We've got Paramount Pictures, Sony Pictures, Universal Pictures, Walt Disney Studios, Warner Brothers. We've also got television networks such as ABC, CBS, Fox, and NBC. And then we've got the Big Bad Wolf of streaming services, Netflix, Apple TV Plus, and Amazon Prime. Well, every three years, these two sides negotiate a new contract, but this year things got pretty tense. So tense to the point neither side could agree. And now, as of Tuesday, we have entered an official strike situation for the first time since 2007. In 2007, that strike lasted 100 days. Also in 2007, Netflix didn't have a streaming component and was still sending out DVDs. So things have changed a lot since then as far as what both sides are negotiating about. Some reporters in Hollywood are predicting this strike may last until September at the earliest to end and December at the latest to end. Well, what happened after they announced on Tuesday there was a strike? The Writers Guild members must obey the strike rules, which means no writing, revising, pitching or negotiating with the television and film companies on their own projects. And they can't exactly chill at home either. The WGA is actually pretty strict about strikes. So its members have been told they have to pick it at assigned locations unless they have a valid medical excuse, personal issue or emergency. Well, what did they even disagree on? What was at the root of this strike? I believe the four biggest issues that have been most painful for the writers during these negotiations have been not enough money, the poor treatment of writers in the mini rooms, overall writer's room stability, and artificial intelligence. Let's go into each one. The first one, money. So some people are confused why they should have sympathy for these writers. On the Writers Union website, the average annual pay to union writers is $261,000. But that's the thing about math, isn't it? Averages can be so skewed. The writers bringing home money from the Marvel superhero blockbusters are probably throwing off the other writer's salary compared to the writers who are writing for late-night talk show hosts that have to grind five days a week. In recent years, the median writer-producer pay has actually declined 23% when adjusted for inflation. Beyond what they get paid for their current project, though, the writers in the strike are most concerned about getting better residual pay. 
Lesson of the day, what is residual pay? Residuals are like royalty payments for screenwriters, and they're basically a huge source of income for the middle-class writer. Writers earn these royalty payments from shows they have on regular broadcast TV and also on streaming platforms. But based on the way contracts are drawn up, writers currently earn a lot more money from residuals from TV broadcasts. Basically, if an episode on a TV show is broadcast on both regular TV and a streaming service, most companies will pay less in residuals on the streaming platform. Writers for stream shows are paid a set amount of money regardless of whether the show is a hit. So a writer who is part of Poker Face on Peacock, which you all know I loved this year, gets paid the same amount as the writer who was on Girls 5 Eva, which got canceled by Peacock, but then picked up by Netflix. But in broadcast television, the writers have a reward for success model. That means if the show is a hit, writers can earn even more in residuals. Speaking of money, streamers are also ordering shorter seasons, which is obviously affecting what writers can earn. Many streaming shows have 8 to 12 episodes a season, compared with the more than 20 episodes made for traditional broadcast linear TV. The second area of contention of the strike is the concept of mini-rooms. Another learning moment of the day, what is a mini-room? It's a pretty Hollywood concept, so let me explain. A mini-room is made up of a small group of writers who have been hired by the studios before a show has even been given an official green light. Studios like mini-rooms. It gives them a better sense of what a show might be before they commit in green light. But writers earn less for their work at that stage of production. Thus, they work longer for less on shows that might never even be made. Pretty frustrating. Writers in mini-rooms can sometimes work for as little as 10 weeks, and then they have to find a new job. This goes into my third point. And this point I don't see covered a lot in the news. There's a lot of instability in writing right now. For example, there used to be 7 to 15 writers on a show. Now, a studio will only hire 1 to 3 writers. Sometimes a showrunner will be offered $10,000 more if they don't hire any writers at all and just write it all themselves. We kind of see this being played out right now with Taylor Sheridan, who does Yellowstone franchise, and Mike White with White Lotus on HBO. During negotiations, studios said they want writers to work on a day rate, which means that they may use you one day, then not need you the next day. It's basically like Uber driver gig economy, but you have no power in when you actually get to choose to work. Another example of the instability that exists for writers, writers on late night talk shows are on 13-week contracts. So basically every three months, you are waiting to find out if your contract gets extended. And finally, the fourth item that I do feel like is getting a little bit blown out of proportion just because AI is such a trendy thing to talk about is the use of AI in scripts. The WGA is campaigning for the regulation of artificial intelligence and script writing. They're asking the studios and networks for a guarantee that AI won't be used as source material, which the studios and networks are refusing because I do believe that they probably see a world where they can get ideas come out of AI or they can get an AI to revamp a script for them and do revisions. What's the studio's perspective on all of this? Well, the studios have said that now is not the best time for a major change in improving the writer's pay. The advertising market is grim as traditional TV viewers have shifted to streaming. But what's ironic is that streaming services also have a grim outlook. For the first time ever in a decade, Netflix lost subscribers last year. Well, what next for you as the listener? Until this strike ends, movie releases that are coming out soon, such as Barbie and Dune 2, 
are unlikely to be affected because these movies are basically done. And even movies that aren't done but were slotted to premiere this year or next, those are basically on their way. They don't need writers at this point since movie production timelines are a year in advance of their premiere date. You may see a little faster impact on TV. Late night talk shows and SNL are the first to cancel their episodes this week and next, but no one really watches those shows anyway. My biggest heartbreak is that there probably won't be any new quality dramas or comedies at the caliber of Succession or White Lotus dropping anytime soon. Instead, shows that don't need writers, such as reality shows, or American writers, such as international shows, might replace traditional comedy and drama slots. Well, since it's Friday, your favorite session is back, what I'll be watching this weekend. The Bridgerton spinoff just dropped on Netflix. It's called Queen Charlotte, and it's with a Black female lead. Very excited about that. There is a show on Netflix called Jewish Matchmaking. It's a spinoff of Indian Matchmaking, which I've really enjoyed in the past too. It's just easy background TV, so I'll take a watch at that. And then I just got to catch up on some favorites this season, such as new episode of Dave this week and HBO Sundays, of course, with a new episode of Succession and Barry. I'll also catch up on Ted Lasso. It's okay this season. I don't think it's the strongest, but I'm watching it just to stay relevant at this point. I gave Mrs. Davis on Peacock a try this week, but it was really hard to watch. And I'm very excited that the other two is back on HBO Max. It's one of the most underrated comedies, and I wish more people watched it. Do not expect a review on Love and Death on HBO from me. Suburb true crime murder is just not my thing. Well, that's it for today's episode, everyone. I hope you learned a little, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.